Hi everyone and welcome to Anesthesia Coffee Break. I'm Lahiru. And I'm Stan. Let's get straight into it. The first part exam is the largest project or goal that many of us will have ever undertaken. Staring at this monumental task can seem daunting and maybe insurmountable, but that's why we're here. I have Stan, my resident first part guru, who's been educating trainees for years and coordinating the teaching program at our hospital. So Stan, how would I get started preparing for this exam? Thank you, Laugh, for the introduction. Well, the first thing to do is to get yourself into an accredited training position. Now, after you've done that, the second thing is to know not only what you are preparing for, but why. So let's start off with the why. That's good. So why is the primary exam important? Well, the primary exam is a basic science exam. And when you can apply that knowledge to your anesthesia practice, it can only make you a better anesthetist. This is an important question as knowing this will help provide the focus and motivation you need during this marathon. So Stan, what does the exam involve? Well, the exam is three parts. There's a multiple choice question, short answer question, and a viva. The MCQs are held in the morning and involve 150 questions over 150 minutes with an additional 10 minutes of reading time. There is no negative marking, so you should answer every question. It is necessary that you pass this component to be allowed to sit the viva but it doesn't count towards your aggregate score. The pass mark ranges from the high 50s to the low 60s and is set through a standard setting exercise. Okay, Stan, I've actually never heard of that. What is a standard setting exercise? I mean, I can get what it means, but um, what, do you, what do you think of it? Well, the basic concept is that they standardize the answers to enable fair marking because they ask different MCQs each year and they do have at least a dozen examiners sitting the exam under exam conditions to ensure fairness. How about the short answer questions? The short answers are held in the afternoon and involve 15 questions in 150 minutes with 15 minutes reading time. The minimum required is 40% to be invited for a viva, but you certainly want to be scoring more. Are you saying that the marks for the short answer are then cumulative? Yes, correct. So what you want is um, a mark for each question above four or five, so that if you score poorly uh, in one question, you can certainly make it up. Uh, with other questions and so that your aggregate, your aggregate score is above 40%. Excellent. Now, each short answer question is marked out of five and rewards understanding and internal consistency. In other words, there is negative marking here. So be careful with what you write down. Two out of five is considered sufficient for a viva. Three out of five is a clear pass. And what did you mean by internal consistency? So, for example, if you write a concept that said something like increased preload increases your blood pressure and further on in your answer you write something that says something like increased preload um, decreases your blood pressure which which can happen in some specific circumstances yeah it can like but if you don't yeah but if you don't explain why um, it it doesn't um, it's not consistent and it will be considered um, a negative sounds good Finally, if you have passed the MCQs and reached the standard for the SAQs, you get invited to the Viva, which consists of three 20-minute Viva stations. Each 20-minute station consists of four Viva stems. There is two minutes between each station, which is used as the reading time for the first stem question. Questions asked in the SAQs will not be repeated in the Vivas. Passing requires an aggregate of 50% or more between the Vivas and the SAQs. So after I have a basic understand of why I need this exam and what the components are, I think the next section is most daunting. What do I need to know for the exam and how on earth do I learn all of this information? Well, there is a vast amount of information that you need to learn 
Um, and everything that will be examined is set out in the learning objectives in the anesthesia training program curriculum. We'll provide a link below for you to have a look. Okay, great. So how do I prepare for this exam? Well, for one thing, you've started in the right place listening to this podcast. Nice one. <laughs> Each of you will have an individual style of learning and you must find the best way of approaching the examination for yourself. To do this, talk to as many of your peers or consultants who have passed this exam. Get their advice and see what has worked and didn't work for them and see how that applies to you. I think that's a really good point. I mean, so many different people have so many opinions and I think the best thing was just asking everyone and just getting the best tips that really resonated with me um, from each of those people. So I remember, I remember this one point, one consultant just happened to say this phrase to me. Well, here, if you focus on minutiae for this exam, you will fail and you will deserve to fail. And it just flipped a switch in me. I used to be a very detail-oriented person for this exam and I flipped that and I suddenly became all about structures and you know getting the big concepts out. And I, that was the most valuable piece of advice I got during that exam. And hopefully many different people will give you these you know, pearls of wisdom. And I think that's spot on because there are so many different learning styles and what you'll find is that when you speak to... Um, a vast array of people, you will find someone who will have the shared same experiences as yourself and um, and will provide advice that resonates with you. So um, it's that they are such an important resource to the people around you. Now, your next step is to form a study group. Successful study groups range anywhere from two to five members, but I think three to four is optimum. Having study group members on the same rotations of hospitals as yourself to facilitate accessibility is probably less of an importance nowadays with the advent of technology mediums such as Zoom or Google Teams. That's some really interesting. It was definitely at my first study group had about five people and that, and that worked pretty well. But I also realized that I wanted to, it was very difficult to always have the same people available at every time, you know, with rosters and rotations and, and just all the difficulties with life in general. Um, so I had some individuals that I would meet up with occasionally just to get practice exams done. So we only had to timetable two of us and we'd meet up and just get lots of runs on the board, get lots of exam answers done. I thought that was really useful. Having a few different styles of study groups in my example was really useful. And when I went through, I went through in 2008 and at that time you could sit the physiology and pharmacology exams uh, separately. So I I set both exams at the same time, um, but my study group consisted of Uh, a member who was sitting the physiology uh, separately and then another another one of my peers was sitting the pharmacology separately. So I actually had two different study groups uh, Mm -hmm. of uh, two each, but you know what? They were fantastic and they really helped me get through this exam. Yeah, that sounds really good. Now, most study plans that you'll see will span anywhere between nine to 12 months. And the numbers that you'll see in terms of hours you need to do is about a thousand. Now, if you do a quick calculation, this will range anywhere from 20 to 25 hours a week of study, or about three to four hours a day, and that includes weekend. That's a lot of hours, and I just remember thinking how daunting this was, but also, that, you know, with a bit of timetabling and a bit of sacrifice, it is easy to get these hours, and just um, do what suits you best. Like I found on the weekends I could get a lot done, but still have my Friday nights and Saturday nights for, you know, having fun and seeing friends. And then, especially leading up to the Viva, I found that the early mornings were just really valuable. You know, one hour in the morning before work was far better than three hours after work when I was tired and wasn't engaged. So I managed to get these hours just by scraping together and sacrificing things. 
And yes, sacrifice is obviously required. And depending on your circumstances, this may be more or less than others. You have to talk to your family and friends and set their expectations for the year to come, as you may have to miss some important social events during the year. Actually, that's a really good point. I remember missing quite a few things during that year of study. An overseas trip with one of my best mates was you know, the worst thing that I had to miss. Um, and then all the usual catch-ups. But again, friends are so important. I remember how valuable they were during this time, so keeping contact with them as well. So look, do allow enough time and don't feel pressured to rush into a sitting, even if it means not studying in your preferred study group. Statistically, your first attempt at passing is your best attempt, and you wanna make sure your preparation is optimal. And remember to reward and be kind to yourself, not just at the end of the exam, but also through the whole process. Yeah, I remember really planning a lot of things prior to this exam. Pretty much I was trying to minimize risk in my life. So making sure my taxes were done, my computer was updated, I didn't have any big life decisions hanging over my head, say like buying a house. Then throughout the study period, I'd reward myself with nice meals, you know, takeaways, so I didn't have to focus on that um, and use up energy on that. I hired a cleaner. I outsourced a lot of things that would take me away from that crucial study time. And I think that's really um, important and often underestimated by a lot of people. Like people are not willing to actually spend any money. And I think you have to. You have to spend money on yourself and um, really take care of yourself during this time and really be kind to yourself and reward yourself. Because at the end of the day, this exam is worth so much more than what you'll, you'll be spending throughout this whole year. Mm, that's so true. I've also had a lot of difficult conversations with family and friends about how much time I would have to be able to spend with them. And because my family understands the medical world, that wasn't too bad, but certain friends who weren't medical, it was really tough to say that, look, I, I can't hang out as much as I normally would. Um, but my friends were, were my sanity, you know, spending good quality time with them, celebrating with them, you know, the small wins meant the world to me. And definitely after this exam, having them there to celebrate with me was fantastic. I, look, I was quite lucky um, myself. Um, my wife and I, we were both studying for the exam. So she's a physician and she was studying for the physician's exam and I was studying for the anesthetic exam. So oh, wow. um, having, having those sort of time schedules um, at the same time made it a lot easier. But I can just imagine that, you know, if, if she wasn't having uh, her exam at the same time, her demands would be completely different and vice versa. You know, if I, if I wasn't sitting the exam and she was, I would be, you know, expecting her to hang out with me, to go out. So, um, so yeah, having, um, having these conversations can sometimes be difficult, especially if you have different expectations. Mm -hmm. Um, and look, through my experience, the trainees that have struggled, often it's not through a lack of commitment or intelligence. It's often personal circumstances which have taken away uh, their focus for this exam. I think if any trainee is going through these difficulties, uh, please reach out to us or a trusted mentor or a welfare officer. That sounds like pretty good advice and we'll all have certain struggles during this process and through the rest of our lives. It's a really good thing to be aware of to be able to reach out. Now, Stan, what resources do you recommend I should use for this exam? So look, a lot of trainees um, use a program called MAC95 to organize their study. It's created by Dr. Frank Sun, a Sydney anesthetist, and features everything you want in a study plan. It's got a dashboard, all the learning objectives, short answer questions with links to the examiner's reports and model answers, and multiple choice questions compiled from various sources, including Dr. Carrie Brandis's website, anesthesiamcq.com. Now, Dr. Mark Reeves, the ex-chair of the primary exam committee, has also created a primer for the primary exam, 
which rates the importance of each learning objective as well as the recommended resources for each topic. That sounds like a really invaluable tool and we'll be providing the link to all these down below. Now, another one is Primary LO of the Day um, and that's another website managed by Dr. Emma Giles, who is the current chair of the Primary Exam Committee. So you've got all these great resources out there and you want to make sure you don't get overwhelmed with them and use them effectively um, to keep your exam focus. That's great. There's so many resources out there now. You want to make sure you don't get overwhelmed with them and use them effectively and keep your study for this exam focused. Now to move on, how about textbooks? There's so many textbooks out there and I definitely know that nowadays there's so many more resources and ability to find these. So what do you reckon? My advice is that all the recommended textbooks that are prescribed by ANSCA are available as eBooks, um, except for one. Okay, so they're all available um, through the ANSCA library. Whether or not you buy the physical ones is completely up to you and your learning style. Which one isn't available? So the, so the textbook that's not available is the one by McGee and Tooley, and that has to do with um, physics and instrumentation and anesthesia. So there are also some other popular textbooks like Kerry Brandis's The Physiology Viva and Peck and Hill's Pharmacology for Anesthesia and Intensive Care, which are often used by trainees, but are not on the official list. So it is important that you cross-reference them with the prescribed texts. Yeah, I found the instant and made easy style of books so useful. I'd go through them as a quick summary and then I'd delve deeper with the prescribed text. I really just want to get an overall feel for a subject before I you know, got into the detail. Kind of that thing about not focusing on minutiae and finding the overall, I guess, big picture type answer. Um, some of these books were Pharmacokinetics Made Easy by Burkitt and Instant Anatomy, they were great, as well as NMS Physiology by Bullock to name a few. And don't underestimate how useful Wikipedia can be for a quick answer. So, Stan, what courses should I sign up to? Which ones are available out there? There are many, many available courses, um, and I think any course that is available to you is fine. Many trainees speak highly of the Waikato and Monash courses, but these have limited places and may be hard to get into. At the end of the day, it's the process of being around other trainees and giving you the confidence or motivation to achieve the level you need to be at to be successful in this exam. Yeah, I remember not getting into the Waikato, the New Zealand course, but my study mate going to it, and I was gutted. He was essentially at this you know, week of exam-focused directed study, and I was just at home. But it was like missing out on this experience inspired me to work extremely hard during that two, two weeks. And when my mate got back, if anything, I was doing better than ever before with my answers because I was just so focused and just really, you know, just really motivated to perform better. So in a future podcast, we'll also go through a comprehensive study plan for this exam, before we end, any final tips? Remember that this exam requires you to apply your knowledge and understanding in both written and verbal form. Therefore, consistently test your understanding by using flashcards or flashcard apps for MCQs, answering SAQs to time, and verbalizing your knowledge to prepare for the Viva. And finally, it may sound like I'm asking you to reinvent the wheel, but you need to invent the wheel to know how a wheel works. In other words, even though you will have a plethora of study notes available to you, Nothing beats creating your own. It's a process that will help you retain and understand the knowledge required to pass this exam. I should remember that vividly. When I was going through my second part exam, I finally had all the technology set up, all my notes on an iPad, but nothing was sticking to my memory. And that process of just writing out cards with all the subtleties on each card, you know, all the little deviations, things that I would remember were because it was handwritten. I think that was a great summary of this critical exam. Just on a positive note, 
we all feel this incredible sense of achievement on passing this exam, and this is directly because of the sacrifice and hard work that we put into it. So thank you for listening, and if you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and share. We'll see you next time.